0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm welcoming Eric Degatti, Dr. Nathan Denning, and Dr. Justin Tallard onto the podcast. We're going to be discussing all things related to baseball. So, load management, return to sport, various trends that we see in youth uh, baseball, and so on. So, we cover a lot of different topics in about an hour. And this is a phenomenal episode. And we have such a great supporting cast here today between Eric, Nate, and Justin. They really do a great job of offering various insights and various looks on the sport of baseball. So I know you're going to love this episode. Enjoy. Eric, Justin, Nate, super excited to work with you all today. I'm really excited to dive into the sport of baseball. Thank you all for being here.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: For having For people who might not be familiar with the three of you, would you mind filling them in a little bit about who you are and your background, backstory, that sort of thing? Uh,
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us on. Um, My name is Justin Tallard. I'm the minor league rehab coordinator for the Philadelphia Phillies. This will be my second year, uh, second season in the role. Um, Prior to that, I um, completed a sports residency program at Houston Methodist, where I had the awesome opportunity to work with Rice University Athletics, the Astros, um, and like the Houston Rodeo and Ballet um, and just a, a really diverse group of athletes there um, and came on with the Phillies in 2022 um, and have just been here since and been really thankful for the experience.
3: Thanks for having us, man. Uh, yeah, so my background's on different areas sports. sports I graduated PT school in 2016, went on to a sports residency down in University of Evansville um, in pro rehab in Southern Indiana. And from there, kind of went into a role with the, with Exos for human performance uh, rehab and working with the guys from um, off season off season uh, rehab from all kinds all kinds of professional sports, and then also working with a lot of guys training for the NFL Combine, and then also kind of like uh, our special operations guys. And then from there did that for two or three years and then went down to Fort Myers with the Minnesota Twins for a year and worked with the uh, worked with the worked with their rehab staff and own players just kind of a rehab and reconditioning specialists working on movements, so clear pain mechanical faults for their hitters and pitchers while working on the rehab side as well. And then this that past year came up and um, started my own thing, integrated performance where. A little mix of performance and uh, rehab up here in Carmel, Indianapolis, Indiana.
1: Well, I guess I'm the old man of the group here. So um, I'm going on year 25 in in, in the field, uh, and I've kind of covered a lot of road during that time, uh, owned my own facility here in New Jersey for 12 years, multidisciplinary center that had kind of a little bit of everything, um, and then been training athletes in performance primarily based in baseball, softball, as well as football. I spent nine years as a training consultant to the New York football giants, uh, as well as on the other side. Uh, The other hat I've worn as an educator, uh, working as uh, a lead instructor for functional movement systems since 2006, I think, 2005, um, as well as developed my own curriculum with something called principles of program design. So kind of seen it from all different angles.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I feel like the combination of the three of you from strength and conditioning side and so much experience and knowledge on the sport of baseball, combined with someone who has been in the realm of Major League Baseball and is now seeing things from more of a private practice side all the way up to someone who's currently very involved in the long-term rehabs in uh, you know, the professional baseball level. I think you three make a really great trio, and I feel like we're going to have a great discussion today about so many different things relating to the sport of baseball that impact our youth and our professional athletes. And, you know, the first thing I've noticed about the sport of baseball is it's very unique in that you're playing about 162 game season at the professional level, right? You know, your spring training starts in February, March, and you're potentially playing if you make the playoffs into the month of October. So it's a very long season. There's a lot of games and not a whole lot of downtime or rest during the season. How do you guys go about doing that whole load management thing? During the season, how do you go about making sure that guys are getting, you know, their strength training, their reps in, um, you know, staying on top of injuries without overcooking them, uh, because they're doing so much, uh, you know, from the sport demand itself. My role, I'm not necessarily uh, involved a
2: ton um, with the with the in season team so as the minor league rehab coordinator. Um, I kind of manage, you know, longer term injuries, guys that get hurt and are going to miss time for, you know, like six to eight weeks. Um, But obviously, um, within my role, I have I have a little bit of an understanding as as to how we we attempt to, to manage, you know, extensively long seasons. And then the fact that these guys just like never, never take any time off. And I think, like you said, you know, baseball is is really unique, especially for for pitchers where they're doing one exact movement over and over and over again and they do it all the time and their training to do that is throwing right like you have to throw to be able to pitch and they just get so much load and so much volume um so really it's a it's a coordinated effort between um strength and conditioning staff mental performance staff uh athletic trainers and and physical therapists to um track you know like a number of different metrics um that we find important from you know like throwing throwing volume, um, throwing intensity, all all the traditional things that you think of. Um, so we're having, you know, constant discussions as to, to where guys are at, um, how they're feeling, how they're responding, subjective things that they maybe report to to somebody that that doesn't have anything to do with with making a medical decision, um, to to kind of like stay in, in tune with our athletes and and see what what they need in, in that moment and how we can get them through an entire season. And in all honesty, uh, it's a, it's a lot of planning and a lot of adjustments on the fly to be able to do so.
1: You know, the one piece I would add, Dan is, is I think from the load management perspective is sometimes we take a very myopic, like short range view of that. Um, we look and say, okay, well, this guy, he, he just threw a hundred pitches. What's the problem? Or even at the younger levels, I, I don't understand the pitch limit is this, why can't he throw more? because they're not looking at the total load over the cross of the span of a year or even a career that led up to that day. Um, and so considering that, whether it's at the highest level, did this, did this guy play winter ball? Did he, uh, how much, how many innings did he throw in the spring? Was he trying to make the team having high effort innings leading up until the, the season, as opposed to this is a veteran who was just kind of working on their stuff, all that stuff has to calculate into load management. And at any level, that's one of the biggest arguments that, that, you know, you have to have with people is to understand that, you know, we get caught up in that there's these magical pitch limits of hundred pitches at the highest level or going down to the youth level, down to say 85 for little league kids. And they, you don't quite get that. Oh, well, it's not a magic number at 85 where this is safe and this is not. And it's not also that 85 is the same for every kid every day at every point of the season. So when you are talking about even college players. Like, did they play in a summer league? How many innings did they log in a summer league? I think we need to take a more broad approach in terms of how we look at load management and look at it over the span of an entire uh, calendar year, as well as even in the span of their their lifetime of how much have they logged leading up until this? Is this a, a multi-sport athlete? Is a single sport athlete? There's a, as, uh, as Justin mentioned, like there's a lot of things that have to go into these decisions as opposed to what happened today.
3: I think that all that's, that's awesome right there. And I would, I, what I would, would kind of piggyback on some of that would like Justin was talking about some of the objective data that you see on things you can be looking. Um, if you're looking at the now and then as far as um are they getting fatigued right now? There's a lot of different metrics that we can look at from either like grip strength, shoulder strength, um, total arc and shoulder, or even some uh, movement characteristics that if a guy starts getting fatigued, um, they might start losing that at the, on the um, out of that time point. but then making the adjustments is from what we can control obviously pitch count um, various stuff, especially on pitch count and different different pitchers throwing 85 might be different from compared to one to another but so we can make the adjustment as far as how many pitches they can throw or uh, what our strength conditioning looks like from them from a load standpoint based off. If their if their grip strength's down 20 pounds in one week, we can probably, if that doesn't recover in a day or two, we can probably say that, that we can kind of say that they're, they're maybe a little bit too loaded at that time um, and then try to try to mix up some variables to see if, they, if we can get them to recover a little bit more there. And then Looking, if you're looking at a short term or anything, this like periodization from from a weekly standpoint when they're pitching, making sure they're they're doing the proper restoration recovery strategies right after they pitch and the day after, and as as well as preparing themselves for the next time,
0: um, can really go a long way. Your point on the grip strength metric there, Nate, you mean to tell me that if someone's grip strength is down 20 pounds, you're not going to send them into a guy like Eric there and tell them to bench press him eight sets to failure or something like that? I mean... Well, I
3: wouldn't let Eric talk on that one.
0: <laughs> oh, man. No, I, uh, I I love those points that you brought up there. And Justin really hit on the importance of the collaboration that goes into this. Is It's not just one individual taking the reins on this. It's your PT's your strength coaches, ATs, if you have them, your pitching coach, your uh, athlete themselves. There's a lot of different factors that you have to kind of juggle in order to stay on top of keeping them right all season long. Justin, how do you guys go about doing that at the professional level? And then Eric and Nate. How have you guys been able to do that in more of the private sector level? You know, how are you able to kind of connect with maybe like the high school pitching coach or the, um, you know, the local travel team coach and kind of bring everyone together? You know, it's a lot of a lot of time commitment, right? Like we probably spend more time talking
2: about athletes than we spend with athletes at this point, especially in, in my setting. It's um, us having daily meetings. Um daily phone calls, uh weekly, like larger meetings where we're getting more into the weeds on things, um, to just, you know, discuss how guys are doing if we're if we're on track and and meeting our goals that we've set and if we need to adjust those goals or if we're missing something. Um so in all honesty, it's a it's a ridiculous amount of of time spent planning and having conversations with um with different departments. And then on top of that, having like systems uh, set up to to where we can like fall back on those things right because we're all human at the end of the day we're going to forget little things and if we don't have like a routine or like checks and balances as to, to what we're doing like we're not really going to. Be able to thrive and we'll lose the like attention to detail that we're trying to like strive to to create and and to, to drive excellence right um, so. I I, we were talking a little bit earlier about how like this set this being my second season here, we feel like we're like running on all cylinders because we've we've been able to take the time to like put out fires and have an off season to to come together and say how can we do this the best way? And what way can we have multiple channels of communication so that nothing gets missed? And that just comes from like a lot of time. And and fortunately, you know, like I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that are smarter than myself and have a lot more to contribute. So it's it's really awesome to be able to lean on their expertise and and go to them with questions and like, leave my ego at the door and say like, hey, what do you think about um, incorporating this? Or how do you think this guy's doing? Or what are you seeing from your perspective? And then take that in front of you through my lens. So it, at the end of the day, I'll go back to it. So it's a lot of time and commitment and, and communication and making sure that we're all on the same page um, and asking questions to, to double check that over and over again.
1: The the biggest challenge in the private sector, and I'm curious to to hear what you think, Nate, is that you'd hope at least in a situation like Justin's and I've been in working in professional team environments, at least for the most part, everybody's rowing the boat in the same direction. You have a common goal that we all get to have a job next year if we win, right? Um, whereas it's it's very different in private. Number one, you have a kid that's getting pulled in a million different directions um, and, they're, and they don't all have the same common goal. Your high school coach doesn't have the same goal as the travel coach. It doesn't have the same goal as the private pitching coach. They all are you know, the high school coach needs to win so he can have a job next year. The uh, private coach wants to sell sessions. The, the, the travel coach wants to get more plaques for the wall so they can get more kids to sign up for, for their program. And so each of them are pulling in different directions and they're not necessarily looking out for one another in that uh, they all want a piece of this. And so the biggest lesson that I try to teach, not just the, the parents, but also the kids is that they have to be their own advocate. Is that especially like, and I did a fair amount of work in softball where it's even a a little bit different animal where you generally have one ace that almost throws almost every game, especially at the high school level. And I say, what you have to avoid being is you have to understand when you're good. And I've worked with some girls who are like really high level pitchers is you're the coach's shiny toy. And I said, you have to be careful that they're going to pull out that shiny toy anytime they want to show that off. And I've had girls who were like player of the year whose coach pulled them off of the bench after sitting in 40 degree rain for two hours, because they were in some tournament in preseason tournament. And the team they were playing against said, Oh, I thought we were going to get to see so-and-so pitch today. And they said, Oh, come on, get up. And it was a shiny new toy that we're going to roll out in the mound and have her throw. And sure enough, she, she jacked up her shoulder from doing it. And, and that's why I've always had that conversation. You need to advocate because we have kids who have to play on multiple teams that they're playing travel and, and, and their school or their their town team simultaneously and if those coaches don't communicate which they're not going to you need to have the parent you need to have the kid advocate um because if not they'll they're going to take that shiny toy especially if you're good and they're going to they're going to showcase it every chance they get and we have to teach kids and parents how to protect them from themselves and from coaches who are going to be overzealous who may not have your best interest at hand and
3: i think eric just hit the nail on the head right there on the say when he's talking about advocating for yourself and uh throwing just a shiny new object. I one uh, one player that I recently saw throws about five mile an hour quick faster than any one of his counterparts at his age group. And when I was telling him, I was like, hey, you might be you might need a little bit more of a great throwing with your the stress on the arm for that that speed you're throwing, his dad looked up at me and he just goes, Well we threw the most innings this year than any of did. And I was just like, well, It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to counter any type of recovery strategy behind that when you're when you're having more stress than any other kid on the, on the, on the game on the, on the field as well. So Eric just second anything Eric just said on that. But what I would also say is I'm lucky a little bit as far as for the organization that I'm a part of, they have a strength and strength conditioning coach that works with those kids most of the time, Um, or they have they all get second from them. So Me and him going back and forth. If it's, if I'm seeing one of the players from that, it's pretty pretty easy as far as my office is literally just right in the middle of the weight room um, that they're working with. But one thing that's hard to juggle, and he also, he does a very good job at also understanding that these kids strength train with their high schools. So he's not only balancing what he's doing with the kids, but what they're already getting with their from their high school strength conditioning coach as well. So, um, like I said, he does a very good job of balancing knowing, like, getting info from them to figure out what he can supplement as as far as just instead of just saying, like, hey, uh, well, this is my program. This is what I'm going to do when it actually could be detrimental to the kid because they've already done they've, they've already something very similar um, with their high school. Uh, but as far as in the private sector of trying to reach out, I would say education and being their own advocate, like Eric was saying, is, is going to be keen because a lot of these kids like eric said they're getting pulled every every which direction so they don't know what's necessarily the best so as long as as long as you can give them some education and, and being authentic and being real as far as like i mean they can pull it out for me as well they'll they'll know if you're just trying to sell them something as well so if you're telling them stuff that's best for them and it's i mean obviously we want to help and if it, it's not and they see that's not even a, a benefit to you and you're just trying to help them continue their career They're gonna take it to heart and they're
0: gonna they're gonna do the best that they can to follow that advice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, as you mentioned, you know, protecting their career because I've noticed that individuals who suffer, you know, overuse injuries or different setbacks like that, their progress kind of goes like a roller coaster. They get better and then up oh, we're sidelined for six weeks. We get better up oh, we're sidelined for a month. Whereas if we can stay healthy, we just progressively improve over time. And, you know, I know that we can't prevent every injury or that sort of thing. We have to kind of find a way to control our controllables. And I think you just hit a great point with that there, Nate and Eric, is you know, when we are looking at someone's program, uh, we can try and connect with as many individuals as we can. But if they're lifting with their high school team and they're going to a private sector strength and conditioning facility on top of that, um, you, you know, there's only so much we can do there. You know, we're we're probably not going to get the high school strength coach to change what he's doing with the athletes. So how do we kind of go about finding a way to supplement and support what they're doing uh, without kind of overdoing it. And uh, I think that's a huge takeaway. And I know that's something that, you know, Eric and I have discussed multiple times in the past is trying to get smarter with what we give athletes from an exercise standpoint. And I think this is huge in a sport like baseball. And I'd love to hear your comments on this is, you know, I feel like if we give the wrong exercises, then we start feeding the dysfunction, especially in pitchers. You know, I think everyone is so quick to just slap rotator cuff strengthening at pitchers when in reality, we haven't even like assessed the pitcher or, you know, we're just doing three by 10 sideline lying ERIR or, you know, banded ER, IR and expecting that's going to solve every issue for a pitcher. Uh, when in reality, I feel like there's more to it than that. Yeah,
2: ab- absolutely. I think one, I want to circle back to Eric's point about like having these guys be their own advocates and ironically that applies so much to to minor league and major league baseball and i feel like the 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 guys that represent what it is to be like a, a big leaguer and a big league veteran are the guys that like know their routine know what they need and advocate for themselves and we spend a lot of time like teaching 16 year old kids from the dr like hey I, I need you to tell me what you want and what you need and literally my first message to anybody that comes into rehab is that hey you guys know your body I might know something about exercise and and injuries and I need you to communicate and collaborate with me so that we can be on the same page and you can tell me what you need and like we're about to talk about there's 1600 different ways to do the same thing and to strengthen your rotator cuff and at the end of the day it's not necessarily like one one special specific exercise it's the, the right exercise and the right amount at the right time um taken into taken into consideration like a, mil- a million different fa- factors that we you know mentioned when we we're talking about load management so I think it, it really depends like the time point we're looking at for these guys and early on if we're talking like early acute stages of rehab um, if somebody's not throwing if they're not really doing a ton of baseball activity then great let's load them up in anything that we can load them up in so that way when they get to the point that they're closer to return to play they're they're at a, at a point where they're at Better performance than when they left, right? So, like, when they're not doing a ton of baseball-specific activities, great. Then we can do these three sets of ten and like an immense amount of exercise and arm care and 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 all that kind of stuff to to supplement what they would be getting from throwing, so that they're more prepared when they go back to throwing. Um, and then as as we build through, like, getting closer to the time point of of high intent throwing and throwing off a mound and throwing to hitters, like some of that gets like withered away and and we tailor off what that looks like and we become a lot more selective in terms of what we're what we're applying and and what we're choosing to do um i don't know that it's wrong to say that like rotator cuff strengthening is probably like i'm sure if we ask anybody that's probably the most important thing that anybody thinks of in baseball but it's trying to figure out what what the right like dosage of that is and like what the right timing of that is that i think is is the nuance that gets missed and if it's just like okay well your shoulder hurts so just do a thrower's 10 program like that's not not sufficient enough and then on on top of that like that's not taking into account all the things that are specific to that athlete and and everything else that they're doing whether it's you know working with their high school pitching coach working with their specific pitching coach on on my level talking to their agent talking to their friend friend's agent or their friend that does like pitching mechanics and then trying to work with our pitching coach right like there's those barriers that come into play that we have to consider and and what they like doing in the first place and and then you know like backtrack and and get to the get to the point where we're selecting the right exercise and in the right amount for for them in that moment
1: yeah, I, I think the key to, to knowing how to sharpshoot it, and you really do have to sharpshoot it because at any level, um, it's really a matter of there's only so much of this athlete to go around and they're getting pulled in a million directions, as we already mentioned, the private sector. But even when you get to the professional level, they have to go through, they have to watch video, they have to go through all the mechanical stuff, they have analytical stuff they have to look at, uh, there's travel, there's, there's a ton of things that that are fighting for that time. And so when they get to me, I don't have time to, to kind of guess. I have to kind of sharpshoot that. And having a really strong profile allows me to not waste time guessing. And so that profile is going to be unique and that what's one man's, you know, uh, fix is going to be another man's poison. So if I go and just, you know, give a bunch of mobility work to somebody who's already hypermobile, but I don't know that because I didn't do any kind of level of, of profiling and evaluation, then I may make them really worse, but I gave them quote unquote baseball act you know, look stuff that looks and feels like baseball. So unless you know, kind of, and ask, I'm a man of a million why's, kind of, all right, well, why? did we get to this point and then addressing it with the the formula for what's going to fix that mobility is not going to fix an overuse injury because they just don't have the capacity to keep up with the workload. Uh, You know, a bunch of rotator cuff strengthening is making the assumption that it's a strength issue. It's a localized strength issue. Maybe it's a motor control issue, which is not the same thing as strength and it's not going to get fixed with, with band exercise and so forth. So being able to narrow that down, I think is important. And then to kind of weave it all together, I think an important point, uh, and, and Justin alluded to it earlier, is that it's not just us getting on the same page. I mean, the three of us could sit down and and, and chop it up and figure out and put our egos aside, and say, all right, you handle this, I'll take this and you handle this. The, 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 the elephant in the room is your skill coaches. And we could put together the most elegant program that we could that would that we think we've we've, you know, we give it that that chef's kiss. we've We've totally nailed it. And then you get a, a, a hard nosed coach who goes out and runs 20 polls that day or to take, makes their pitchers do two hours of PFPs and just screwed up three months of our work. So if, if we can't get on the same page as that and understand that this could all get it done undone with one you know hard ass practice or one, hey, we're going to do something in, in college it's big when they start off in their, their spring where they do these militant type of boot camp type of challenges, which will just undo everything I just did in the last two weeks.
0: You mean you don't like it when pitchers run polls, Eric? Really?
1: Oh, I should have worn my stop running polls t-shirt that I got.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to echo both of what Justin and Echo said. They they something pretty good job on everything I would hit on. Well, um, like like Eric was saying, like being very spe- specific and be a sharpshooter and what you hit on, like I, t- like I said earlier on, if there's some guys, if you look at just from a movement standpoint, there's – Pitchers typically have what I would say, like, seven things that go out on them. If you're not looking at them, and they don't all have them or they don't all get all of them. But, like, if you're giving somebody a stabilization exercise and they're they're immobile, you're not going to make too much of a change for that person. Or in the other way, the other way around, if they're super mobile and you're stretching them out, they're not, you're probably a more of a detriment as them, too. And then the same way, if we're all fighting for a time and there's only so much time in a day. There's probably a million things that you can that you should be doing as a baseball player. Um and they're all it's all a lot of it's beneficial, but if they only have half hour to do it and you're prescribing an hour of things to do, then the player has no idea what's going to be the best bang for their buck. And they're just gonna pick and choose what feels good. And what all we and we all know that what feels good isn't de- necessarily what's good for the player. Um you can have very, very tight feeling hamstrings, and which I've seen in their active straight leg raises, is way past 90. And for stretching that out, we're just creating more of a, of a of a mobility issue instead of a stability or instead of creating some stability. So really being fine tuned with what you're looking at and knowing where where to lead and prior to and I would say prioritize what you're looking at too. So do you do you uh, do you prioritize mobility over stability? Do you prioritize Shoulder, shoulder mobility over hip mobility, um, and what and being really locked in on, on what you're looking for there. So that player is getting what he absolutely needs um for there. And then you also kind of like like we were saying, shoulder strength. If one, if one of them's down, if you lose, if you lose a few pounds of external rotation on your shoulder for strength, are we are we just loading them up with more external external rotational um Rotator cuff strengthening, or did we factor in that they just threw 100 pitches the day before, and they're actually just fatigued out, and we need a few more hours of, of recovery, um, or some local motor control for shoulder external rotation instead of just loading them up with band work or or resistance work. So kind of factoring in there, and like and what we touched on earlier, getting in on like even some of the some of the uh, mental skills coaches too. Um, can really come into, into play too to find out if they're, if they're not sleeping or just talking with the player as well too, if they're not sleeping at night um, because they're super stressed and obviously to obviously go back to the grip strength and their grip strength may be down still because they're not getting enough rest. So having either questionnaires or just being locked in is making sure you're touching a few questions to your player to, to kind of screen them on where they're at um, psychologically as well hydration, sleep, all that plays a factor into trying to be
0: trying to be a sharpshooter on how to, how to completely that with an athlete in the, in the least amount of time. And taking that a step further, remembering that the athletes are not just baseball players, they're also people. Um, so, you know, if you're at the pro level, like, um, you know, working with some of these guys that Justin has, like, you know, they might be coming in from a different country and there might be a language barrier and they've got to adjust to, you know, living in a whole new place. They might be married or dating someone. They might have kids or a dog or something like that. And there might be some personal life factors that get thrown into the mix as well. And, you know, I know it's easy to think of a sport like baseball, especially at the pro level, as baseball is, you know, their whole life. But there's, there's a lot of other factors that go into the picture as well. And, um, you know, again, we control what we can, but we also have to consider the fact that, you know, we're working with people just as much as we're working with athletes and no one person is going to be perfect about every single thing. So we have to find new ways to adjust and accommodate for those days when things are not perfect, you know, for the, the night that, you know, your star pitcher only gets five hours of sleep or the night where, you know, your pitcher's 20 minutes late to his session because, you know, his dog was sick or something like that. Like you have to be willing to understand where they're coming from as a person, I think, and be able to adjust and account for all the personal factors just as well as the physical performance-based ones, I would say.
2: I think, you know, again, I'm really fortunate that we have, you know, like resources and time, but but with that, like at, at the end of the day, these guys are still people, right? And I think um, especially in the setting that I'm in, where guys are dealing with, you know, like 14 to 16 month injuries or Uh, long-term injuries like they have to figure out how to live life and and not compete and we're again really fortunate that we have like a team around us um to to be able to you know like get to know these guys get to know them as as people and outside of baseball and then provide them with like life skills to to be able to function as you know like adults in society because some of these guys are again coming from different countries and literally learning how to speak english and if we can't create a culture within within rehab and within the Phillies where we can like empower them to grow, then we're doing them a disservice, right? And I think again, we're really fortunate that that we have resources to to be able to do that. And the people around me are incredible, right? You're sitting here talking about like somebody not getting a good night's sleep and and having to show up and still pitch the next day. And one of the one of the things that our mental performance coach talks to these guys about is like showing up. Some days you're going to show up with like your your D stuff. And you're still going to have to be able to go out there and compete with your D stuff. And that's going to be, you're going to have to be okay with that, right? Like the first time a guy's going to throw a a bullpen after having TJ, like it's, it's probably not going to go well performance wise. And they're probably going to be upset about it because it didn't go the way they wanted it to, or they didn't throw as hard as they wanted to, or they didn't throw as, as many strikes as they wanted to. And it's all about like helping them gain the tools to be able to, to manage those expectations and have realistic goals throughout like throughout the rehab process and, and throughout like throughout life, right? Because those same same things apply to when I show up for work and I've got my D stuff for that day because I'm tired or stressed from whatever else is going on in my life. I gotta be able to figure it out and provide the best care that I can with my my D stuff that day. <laughs> so the same thing applies and, and I feel like we're really fortunate again that we have the time and the resources to be able to to commit and get to know these guys on a personal level and then them identify areas where they where they can grow and and be not only better athletes but better better people at the end of the day right
0: you made it i love
3: it go ahead and say justin i love the fact that you talked about like taking them out of the competitiveness of them because that was one of the one of the biggest things that i saw at the twins was like guys on that come to the rehab facility like you just you just essentially stripped them away from their whole team um and this isn't a bad thing. This is just a, this is a, this is how it's kind of done so they can get the proper care that they need and stuff like that. But if you talk about like an identity stress, like one, they're not competing, like you said, two, they're just not around the, they're good friends that they've just been around for a whole season if it's a mid-season injury. And then three, like, or for in a rehab facility or a rehab, rehab area, um, the way it was set up, like you're around guys that. Are in a very similar situation which can be beneficial but it can also be detrimental because they're all not competing if they're just talking to the guys that are that are in rehab so like if you talk about a stressor that they have to they have to be able to monitor to figure out where their rehab status is and anything like that that's a huge like i said it's almost like an identity not an identity crisis but it's an identity loss a little bit because they're not doing what they what they're known for but then it's like in a private sector you kind of forget about that a little bit because they're still, they're still going to school. They're still going to see the same people. Um, but like if you're not playing, if you're not on the, if you're not on the field, you don't have that competitiveness with it uh, to compete against other people. At least you can compete with yourself with a little bit more of a harder drive than it is to compete with other people. And you can see that you can see that in a um, basically any type of performance way. If you're competing against other people, you're going to, Typically, make better gains than you are, if you're just trying to compete against yourself, in most cases. So, um, love, that, love that you mentioned that, Justin.
2: Yeah, I think I think it, in in professional baseball, it's it's really hard when guys get sent down here to Florida or to to Arizona for other teams. Like it's nobody, everybody like tries to resist it and say, oh, I, I don't need to go down. But if you think about like the access to to facilities that guys have on traveling on the road, league players. And even major league players man some of those weight rooms are tough (laughs) so like to have the ability to come come to like a facility where you have everything that you need and you can simulate whatever you need is is an immense benefit but that personality and identity issue of like well I'm down here in Florida they totally forgot about me I don't matter is, is really hard and I think again I'm really fortunate that like our our strength coach and our our pitching coach and the other physical therapists around me have helped to create a culture where we're trying to like challenge these guys to to be the best at what they can be doing at that time, like in that moment, and and try to create you know like some camaraderie of of what what they get in an actual team while they're here. Um, and I it's never the same, but like I feel like that's that's a huge piece that that gets missed where these guys just and even again like you said in the private sector where we just forget that like oh coach probably forgot about me because I can't play for eight weeks. So what, what am I going to do? And I don't have any importance anymore at this point because I can't play. So how can we help help these athletes like find that and, and remember that they they're on their way back to that. Right.
1: Those are awesome points. And I think uh, rapport and trust is also really important because for anybody listening to it, obviously the three of us could sit here and geek out about training baseball players for, for forever, but realize that all the players that come to us, they don't love it right? They're not like, to you steal the Kenny powers line? I'm here to be the best of my sport. I ain't here to be the best at exercising. Right. So they're not all excited about when I explain to them how to do a six point carry or something like that. So I have to be able to get their trust to say, look, this is what's going to lead to this and what, and it's about having some, uh, you know, adult conversations of what we can have some trade-off with to get them to buy in because they're not all jacked up to, to, to do it. And then the other thing from the mental stressors is, When people hear about, oh, you know, working with major leaguers, they're thinking, okay, we're working with all, you know, $20 million a year guys who have, you know, mansions and yachts and and all that sort of stuff, where for every one of those guys that you see on ESPN – There's independently guys who are doing DoorDash, who are just trying to get a job for $5,000 a year. And they're trying to keep that job to hang on a little more to maybe get a chance to get their dream. And so there's, you talk about stress, like you don't know if you have a job every day. Um, though there's a way more guys like that at any professional sport that are right on that, that razor's edge. And that is extremely stressful. Um, and learning how to manage that in your training volume is is another factor to consider.
0: You know, the one thing I feel like we haven't discussed on yet is the whole process of return to sport. So say, you know, an athlete's been seeing Justin for a while and they're getting ready to get back into the game or, you know, say Nathan's got a long-term rehab and they're looking to get cleared to go back in. We didn't really touch on too many of the different return to sport testing criteria in the episode today. I'd love to hear from each of you a little bit about what kind of things you look at when you've got an athlete who's been out or sidelined for a long period of time, what kind of things are you looking at and assessing to determine their, you know, return to sport eligibility or readiness or whatever, you know, term you want to throw at it there. And, you know, I I really want to hit that from also the strength and conditioning element that you have there, Eric, and some of the movement quality type background that you have as well. So
3: what I always kind of say, like, we want to, we want to, we want the end point and that's where we start from. Um, so do we want to get to when we're going to get them either throwing or get them back onto the field. Um, I like to use a lot of the objective stuff, a lot of objective data, because as we all know, if we try to, try to be subjective and just deal with the, is it painful or not, we're going to miss a lot of different things. And a lot of different factors that can go into why they got injured. Um, as like we just talked about. So typically what I'm looking for, if you're talking like if we're talking baseball, so we're talking an upper body, upper body injury for the most part, obviously there's, there's other things but we typically think of shoulder elbow, um, for, for baseball. So, um, some of the stuff that we already, we already touched on what I like to look, look at, is, grip strength. is it normalized, um, compared to what it was previously, if we had that data before, if not, and we don't have the data from before, is it at least what it is from the from the non-throwing side and then do we have a little bit of an increase overhead as opposed to down to the side um shoulder strength uh is it again is it normalized um i like to look at even versus ir so the ratio is it between 0.8 to one um, R ER to ir ratio is it the same as your non-throwing side um or is it a little bit or is it a little bit better is it a little bit worse so all this stuff i'd want to this I would, I would want all that stuff normalized too, and then you get into a little bit more functional testing as far as um, upper quarter Y balance, um, so closed kinetic chains uh, testing. Um, is that is that equal and both sides symmetrical and does the composite scores, composite score equal what it needs to be? Lower quarter Y balance does that equal what it needs to be for a composite score and symmetrical? um then we go just even to like an fms is there is there no zeros and ones on it is there any asymmetries um shoulder total arc um shoulder range of motion flexion erir extension is that all normalized especially and then cervical range of motion is that normalized um in a picture um ankle dorsiflexion even this big one thorax rotation to see if they're see if they have any limitations in that all that stuff is is what i would want to make sure to even even begin to start um, progressing higher end activity. And then if you get even into higher level testing, as far as broad jump or med ball chest pass, uh, where I'd be working with Eric a little bit to, to, to figure out where we need to go in that, in that realm in the strength conditioning realm to make sure that they're getting all the power output, all the postural integrity and um, elastic energy control that they're, that they should be, they should be able to withstand the, withstand the stressors of their sport. And once all that, uh, it's a lot of stuff that I just listed, but as long as, until you get all that stuff normalized and start progressing, then you start to progress a little bit more of a, of a return to sport as far as like, maybe that's when you start doing some return to your interval throw, throwing program to make sure that they're not, um, like we talked about before, like an acute chronic workload ratio. So you're not just bombarding and jumping up their acute workload and then just get re-injured again after you just normalized everything, made them super strong, made them super a good mover. And then all of a sudden you just go, go back to square one because you loaded them too quick. Um, so that's where there were a lot of stuff there, but that's where, that's essentially where I would start and then try to try to normalize everything that you find. And like we talked about, be a sharpshooter where, where the fit in those areas and attack that really hard, um, until all that stuff gets kind of normalized.
1: Yeah. And they hit yeah. some really good, good points there. Uh, you know, the quote, the Jay Z line, the numbers don't lie, check the scoreboard. So, um, <laughs> Is that like, I, I need to know some objective data and that's why that profile up front is important because I wanna know like if their broad jump did decrease by six inches, well, that means their lower body power isn't what it was previously. Now they go on the mound and they're trying to, to get back to the same below. They're gonna to have to get that from someplace else and that's gonna mean they're gonna probably overuse a part that we just rehabbed, right? Or if they're maybe because they've been sitting so much and they're not doing their normal activities and not on their feet as much and now they've lost a foot length off their stride. And now th- that's going to take a couple ticks off their velo and they're going to try to make it up someplace else. So I want to make sure everything gets back to, to an acceptable level and not look at that on a very local thing. So even if you're coming back from TJ or a shoulder thing, I'm looking at all those other factors, regardless of what your, your injury is, because those are the things that usually get lost Um, because we don't think about that. We, I mean, there's some of the highest correlations from a movement standpoint or the lower body wide balance test, um, in terms of arm injuries. So I want to look at everything to make sure every, you know, what thumbprint has this left. And if it means that you lost dorsiflexion on your landing leg, that's going to end up leading to something coming back at some point. And so that's why you see a lot of players who come back and they And they have a setback because something else was triggered because their, their normal activities changed and their normal training changed. And and then the other last point I would say, and Nate brought it up really well, is you got to really under get the athlete to understand that this isn't a a, a green and red type of situation, that there's going to be shades of gray all along there, that you're not just either good or not good, that there's steps to this. You don't just go out and throw 95 at max velocity in high in, in high pressure situations. After not throwing at all, we have to learn how do we how do we ramp this up properly.
2: Both Nate and Eric really hit on the the most important thing is that it's holistic, right? Like Nate listed off like twenty different twenty different metrics that you want to look at, and we want to look at the the whole picture of these guys. And again, I'm really fortunate that we have like a a pre participation participation you know like physical to go back to and say like, hey, what did this guy look like? when he wasn't hurt or when he was healthy, or if it's somebody that's been with the org for a long time, like what did he look like X number of, of years ago? So we can like reverse engineer these things and, and see like where that looks. Um, but I, I think obviously these guys hit, hit the nail on the head. I think the only thing that I'll add in terms of like return to throwing is like some sort of like a, a pre-throwing plyometric program, right? Like they should be doing some sort of throwing or exercise to simulate throwing, whether that's med balls, whether that's some sort of like use of a weighted ball. So that way, when they go to throw, that's not the hardest thing that they've ever done since since they since they last threw. Right,
0: right, right. I like that point a lot. And um, you know, you mentioned too, Justin. That's the beauty of having the facility like you guys have in the long term setting there, where you have pretty much unlimited access to whatever you need. Um, No, I think you guys did a great job hitting so many different return to sport criteria and considerations. And as you mentioned, it's a continuum. It's not a full green light or full red light. You can continue to move forward or move back from that state. And while certain things might meet where you were before, other things might be lagging behind. And as you mentioned, that's the essential part of looking at everything uh, before the athlete goes back and trying to give them some kind of baseline Uh, Some kind of, you know, score or just overall data of where they're at and where they need to be. Um, I love how you all brought up the points of reverse engineering as well. You have the end goal in mind. Now we just have to build the steps backwards from there to get them to that point. I know we're running a little short on time, but I would love to hear if there's any sort of things that y'all have noticed amongst the youth sports lately, especially youth baseball. You know, I know we can talk about, you know, the pro guys or D1 college guys, and that's all the excitement and ESPN and that sort of thing. But there's another generation of them coming up right now that might be, you know, in the Little League World Series, or maybe they're just, you know, middle of nowhere, farm town playing, you know, travel ball or something like that. Is there anything outside of running polls that you've noticed as like concerning or things that you want to... You know, in your mind, you would like to see changed in the uh, in the youth athletic uh, world for baseball.
1: Do we have like two hours, Dan?
0: I mean, I can can run with this one. (laughs) We we might have to do a whole separate podcast on that one.
1: So, so I had two boys that played all the way up into college. And then I coached youth baseball for up until last year. So probably about almost 15 years of coaching youth baseball. And it has basically become organized child abuse. Um, You know, when people are asking, well, what's the, when you talk about that device, I'm like, that is a gateway drug for psycho dads to destroy their kids. Um, You know, when you hear about, well, what's the best ice pack for my kid's arm? As I say, ice is for trauma. Like if you get punched in the face, you get hit with a ball, it's for trauma, then you shouldn't be doing anything that traumatic to a 12-year-old's arm that they need ice to begin with, not to mention getting into the research that it doesn't work and it actually works against what you think you're, it's going to do. Um, so like getting that mindset to change is really hard. And I can tell you, cause I've been in it as a parent, there's that fear of missing out. Well, if I don't do this, then if I don't get my kid on the, you know, cause it's, it's driven in by, and it's really just a cash grab of, if you don't play on the, on the spring team, you won't be on the summer team. If you don't play in the fall team, you won't make the spring team. And so kids are dropping out of their other sports. You have kids that are dedicating themselves just to one thing. And they're getting burnt out. And, and what it's producing, and I'm sure, you know, Justin, you could talk about this. It's producing highly skilled, uh, underperforming athletes who, who have been taught very mechanically how to play a game that also has a huge artistic element to it. And, you know, and that's why I always one of my favorite things when I coached youth baseball is when we went to like a sleepaway tournament, as much as I despise tournaments with a passion, I can go for an hour on that, is I love the fact that we would go and all of my little superstars would get their asses handed to them by a team from another state. Because then I would have the parents at dinner that night say, just understand that that team from Maryland that just mercyed us 28 to nothing, that they're going to go to Florida with kids who play year round and they're going to lose 28 to nothing. And that team from Florida will go to the Dominican Republic and they will lose 28 to nothing with a bunch of kids with milk cartons for gloves. And so you're so far down the food chain that... Understand that it doesn't really matter what I pack, you buy a little Johnny. All right, I, if I don't like reel myself in, I'll go all night. So let me let these <laughs> other guys go. You can tell that this is a, a tender spot for me.
3: Yeah, those are all good points. So, like you say, we can go on for hours on this. Uh, let's see, I'll go, I'll go, I'll just, I'll explain one thing out here. I'll pick out on one thing. So, Eric already hit the, hit the what the esports look at. But one, the one thing, one big thing that I notice is, um a lot of the guys that i see right now um come with an elbow or shoulder injury I ask them what their throwing routine is for non-pitch or anything like that and they're like what do you mean they're like well what's your warm what's your quote-unquote warm-up and i was like well we go out to 150 180 every day I'm like well hey it's like the long time is supposed to be development i was like do you do you squat every day and they're, they're like no I was like what happens if you do he's like it's going to go down i was like correct i was like so why are you doing a very high velocity velocity growing every day and like, oh, I that, you know, we were told long toss, long toss increases it was like yeah if you re- if you recover from it but you're not going to be able to recover from it in twenty four hours so a lot of times I the first step I do is change their change their uh, their essentially throwing program and what do you know their elbow doesn't
2: hurt with not too much too much intervention to it I don't know if I can can follow up uh, Eric but um, to, to piggyback off of, of, of Nate um, in, in baseball and probably in most sports we all think more is better um, it's always more more wins more more throwing more lifting more teams more recovery and it's I mean obviously we all know that's not true so <laughs> we've we've I think we've laid out that it's trying to do the right thing at the right time in the right amount and we we lose that a lot, especially in youth sports. When we're we've got the next LeBron James on our on our team.
0: Yeah, the the business of youth sports. It's um, and as we mentioned before off air, it's it, it's incredible to me just how much money gets caught up in these things uh, sometimes as well. Um, you know, we're seeing you know families invest sometimes five figures into their kids. Athletic endeavors, and I'm all for supporting the next generation. But, um, as Eric mentioned so eloqu- eloquently, Ellick, geez, as Eric mentioned so well, um, you know, sometimes there's individuals with far less than us that are absolutely whooping us at our sport. Um, so sometimes it's not a matter of what money can buy us, but it's a matter of you know, how we can work in a more effective, efficient, and intelligent matter with the resources that we have. Um, it makes me think back to a personal story as well. Um, a long time ago, I had a, you know, a friend, Joel Bennett on the podcast who pitched for the Boston Red Sox and Philadelphia Phillies. And as we were sharing his journey and story, he talks about how he grew up using a rock as a baseball because he couldn't afford a baseball and using a old two by four as a bat because he couldn't afford one. And yet he was still somehow, you know, able to make it into, you know, city field, Fenway park, that whole sort of thing. Um, So just because you don't have the resources doesn't mean that you're, you know, you should give up on your dream. And just because you have all the resources in the world, doesn't guarantee you a spot at in the big leagues, I'll say. Um, But As Eric mentioned, we can talk about that all night long. As we start to wrap up here, is there any other closing thoughts, closing remarks, or anything else that you guys want to bring up that we didn't yet?
1: I I think the one thing I would add just from from my lean on things is that I think we underestimate and underappreciate. Just general athleticism in baseball, because it's such a highly skilled sport with very, very specific, even within the positioning and differences between all different positions is that if you wanted to to really be successful in the sport, uh, I think what you need to do is look at yourself as an athlete first. And if you look at players who are really successful at the highest levels, they almost never, it's not what they played at 9U is what they're playing now at the major league level. Um, you know, but unfortunately, we have dads that say, "Hey, you know, I picked this kid at eight years old to be the third baseman. He's going to be the third baseman, you know, for the rest of his life." That's not the case. You know, some of the greatest players, Jacob Degrom, was a shortstop. You look at all the, you know, players like the, the Yankees have. Um, Isaiah Conner-Falefa can play all nine positions. Um, that is, what's going to give you value. That's, what's going to probably keep you the most healthy, give you the most robust profiles to be really, really athletic. And then the skill stuff comes a lot easier. It's a lot easier to acquire the skills of hitting and throwing and, and, and fielding when you're really athletic to begin with, if you have someone that the only time they do anything is to get dropped off at a, at a paid for lesson and they don't even carry in their own bag. That's like the path to doomsday in this sport. Um, I think you need to really be athletic first and then build your skill on top of that.
3: Yeah. Too much just besides just I So set the foundation because I think I just saw something today. that's like, well, what, what makes the greats the greats is become get, being able to get into a into a position that doesn't look like a normal baseball position, but then still create force from it. So being able to throw throw hard from a from a arm close to the ground or being kind of disordered to make the make the quick throw to first or anything like that. But you very I mean they may have made that throw one time and it was in the game. So. How do you develop that? You're going to, like Eric said, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to make, have athleticism. You're going to have to be able to pick that up from another sport. You're going to have to pick that up from the development and other areas besides just being on a, on a baseball field. So set your foundation good from a movement, strength, power, uh, performance capacity, and then and then take that to the field and the skill. Like Eric said, again, the skill will come a lot quicker.
2: Yeah, I'll only, I'll only echo that and and say, you know, like, like we talked about, these guys do one, especially pitchers do one exact movement over and over again. And if we're not providing some kind of like movement variability to help them develop, like it's, it's really, really difficult for them to, to succeed. And then the other piece that gets missed, especially in, in youth sports and just even at the professional level is that, you know, we get to play a game for a living and I get to watch people play a game for a living and like, we got to make sure we have fun while we do it. Right. Like, just cause you're trying to make the major leagues, just cause you're trying to make your travel ball team like you still got to be able to have fun while you're doing it otherwise what are you doing it for
0: i love those points love that um you know for people who have listened today and maybe they want to check out more about you guys and that sort of thing where can they find you on social media online um eric i won't make the myspace joke this time i know i've made that like the past five times we've been together Uh, where can they find you at online
1: so i shouldn't reference my myspace then
0: I mean, you can if you want. I'm on MySpace right now, actually. I I think you can ask G
2: for it. (laughs) MySpace is still up and running, I think.
1: Love it. Love it. Well, for me, it's simple. It's just my name. Just go to Eric Degatti, uh, dot com, And you have all my social media and everything in there. If you have any questions, there's an Ask Eric thing on the main page. Put that on there. Plus, you have all the ways you can contact me.
2: Uh, I'm I'm not a big social media guy, um, but we can put my email up for guys if they want to reach out. Awesome.
3: Yeah. And then if you want to reach out to me or anything, my website's integratedperformanceteam.com. Emails Nathan at integratedperformanceteam.com, and then Instagram's just integrated.performance. Uh, Twitter is Nate
1: four
0: gotcha we'll link to all of that in the description below too so if you didn't quite catch that you can just click there justin nate eric i really appreciate you guys' time tonight thank you so much
1: thanks for having us thanks
3: hey
0: everyone i want to take a second and tell you all about Ali RX. rx is a at-home food sensitivity and gut health testing panel You order online and then receive and complete your test at home for food sensitivities. You then receive a custom report online through your member portal and then receive personalized recipes and supplements that are catered to you based on your food sensitivities. If this is something that interests you, you can check out the link and description in my bio and you can use the coupon code capital D capital B R A U N capital R-X, so RX at checkout to save yourself 20%. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Braun Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.